Today on Reparations in Action. Colonialism is real and concrete. It is a human-made condition and it can be struggled against. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Uhuru. You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, The White Lies Shattered series. My name is Jamie Simpson, and I am the host of the show Reparations in Action, which broadcasts weekly on Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Reparations in Action is a program of white solidarity with Black Power. Currently, we are in a podcast series exposing the insidious lies that we learn as white or European people about the nature and origin of America and the current social system. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96, where this show is aired and recorded for our podcast weekly. Today's episode is being recorded on February 21st, 2022, and 57 years ago today, Malcolm X was assassinated in Harlem, New York, at the Audubon Theater, and we just wanted to say that as reparations in action, we acknowledge that whoever pulled the trigger killing Malcolm X, we know, we recognize that it was colonialism, it was the U.S. government who killed Malcolm X. This week, we are discussing the situation of the U.S. assaults on Russia, and I am joined by Penny Hess, the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, and Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Uhuru, and welcome, Jesse and Penny. Uhuru, Uhuru Jesse, Uhuru Jamie, and everybody who's tuning in to this podcast. Uhuru. Who are Chairman Penny? Who are Jamie? Glad to be here as always. Well, I, I'm really, um, I'm really glad that we're going to be talking about the situation that's very much in the news right now, the U.S. provocation, and and really military, political, and economic assaults on Russia, um, typical of what the U.S. does. And I'm glad that you announced, Jamie, that today is the anniversary of the U.S. government's counterinsurgent murder, assassination of Malcolm X. And what you said about, you know, that that the U.S. government pulled that trigger and also that it was just, I think, in the past year that, that, that the African man who was targeted for that murder was just released, that mm-hmm. it was false, um, he was falsely accused and had been in prison for many, obviously, many, many years. So, yeah, this is part of of the counterinsurgency. And also, I think one of the things that we're going to talk about today is show the relationship to the struggle for the liberation of African people inside this country and around the world and Russia. Mm -hmm. How does that work together? We're going to talk about that. and, And that's because our understandings come from Chairman Omalia Shatella, the leader of the African nation, the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, who's developed the political theory or political understanding called African internationalism that sees the world through the eyes of the oppressed and colonized African working class. So 
we're going to get a very unique perspective. Jesse and I both, you know, wholeheartedly and deeply embrace the political theory of African internationalism and allows, and allows us as white people, as people from the colonizer nation, to see the world as it really is, not as we want it to be. And it, it's extremely liberating and and powerful to to be able to give this analysis. So, yeah. So let's let's talk about this fact that the U.S. is provoking Russia in an ongoing assault around the issue of the Ukraine by militarily using NATO mm -hmm. as one of the things that it's doing, but certainly to encroach into Russia's historic territory. Mm -hmm. And I'll just start with. Uh, a quote from the Canadian website called Global Times and stated last year, whether it is the Rose Revolution in Georgia in 2003, the Orange Revolution in Ukraine in 2004, the Tulip Revolution in Kyrgyzstan in 2005, or the Arab Spring in Asia and Africa in 2011, the past decades have seen the U.S. plan and imp implement what they call color revolutions or wars without gunpowder, quote unquote, in many places around the world, frantically exporting American values. And in fact, you know, what they call American values is simply colonialism and U.S. as the imperialist power. It is ex exporting what Chairman O'Malley Chatella so astutely has called the colonial mode of production. Mm. And that is for the benefit for America, for the basically the colonizer nation. So, you know, these color revolutions, which have some notori notoriety, are not um, different than anything else that, that the U.S. has done or Europe has done from the first day in 1415 when it left the shores of Portugal to go out to assault Africa and to begin the kidnapping and enslavement and sale of African human beings and the theft of their, their genius, their land, their, their resources, their labor, all of which continues today. And in this case, dealing with the question of Russia and the Ukraine, in 2014, the U.S. backed a coup that ousted the then-elected president, Viktor Yanukovych, who had a relationship, a good working relationship with Russia, and the U.S. replaced him with a reactionary, white nationalist, paramilitary, right-wing government of Vladimir Zelensky, who's a former professional comedian who is tied to paramilitary anti-Russian pro-US neo-Nazi groups. And the United and the New York Times this morning wrote that the former comedian is quote in over his head hmm. and really suggesting, as actually I've heard Chairman O'Malley Shatella suggest that others obviously pull the strings. And even though Zelensky has complained and said publicly that the U.S. is fomenting this and, you know, and exacerbating a situation that the people of Ukraine 
we're not that concerned about or worried about, um, you know, it's really clear that ultimately Zelensky is going to go along with, you know, his backers, the U.S. government wants to do. So, yeah, um, uh, as one website reported online, quote, amidst the ongoing military conf confrontation with Russia, reports have emerged proving that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is seeking to appoint a far-right Serhii Sternenko as head of Ukraine's security service in Odessa in an attempt to further his alliance with, quote, neo-Nazi forces. As the former head of the neo-Nazi right sector in Odessa, Sternenko was directly implicated in the 2014 trade union's house massacre of 46 people. He is a convicted criminal and currently under investigation for murder. And, you know, I'm, I only am bringing that out because, first of all, we know that the United States is responsible for terror right. and, um, you know, just colonial violence around the world, which is not even ever called neo-Nazi. And as the chairman has, has pointed out, terms like neo-Nazi and paramilitary are uh, are used to describe when white people experience something that maybe may be generally only reserved for colonized people in Haiti or in Venezuela or any place else in Africa or the Middle East that, that the U.S. inflicts upon the majority of the people on the planet Earth. Um, but, I, you know, I'm just raising that because because the media is portraying um, Ukraine as this, you know, poor Ukraine mm -hmm. and Zelensky is this battered president who's seeking the good of the people and et cetera. So uh, just pointing out, you know, and, and something that actually Putin himself raised at the United Nations a week or so ago that, you know, look, look who this person is that you're, you're supporting. And of course, the U.S. always supports that that's what the U.S. is. So currently, um, the stand down with an alleged buildup of nine hundred thousand Russian troops comes after after years of NATO encroachments, coups, so-called color revolutions, counterinsurgency, slander, U.S. sanctions, mm -hmm. everything that it can possibly do, every dirty trick. That, that the U.S. can use to, um, to stop and, and to, to intimidate and, you know, to just basically inhibit the ability of the Russian state and the Russian people to forward their ability to, to live and have self-government. This is uh, such an important analysis, Chairwoman Penny. Uh, I'm really glad that, that we're taking this on and looking at the situation in Ukraine and Russia through the lens of African internationalism and the understandings of Chairman Amali Shatella, which, which connects the dots and mm -hmm. brings, brings it all together. And um, just what you were just saying, you know, if you listen to NPR or read the New York Times or any other imperialist media right now, it's like an, uh, an, a propaganda onslaught to, mm -hmm. you know, pound the drums of war and portray Russia as and Putin as this like wild-eyed lunatic aggressor mm -hmm. that's just pushing the world towards the brink of war 
when, as you just explained, it's quite the opposite, that that is the U.S. doing that. And if there is a buildup of 900,000 Russian, Russian troops, that it's, it's Russia pushing back against years of encroachment. Uh, according to one online source, since the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the NATO military alliance has extended its borders 800 miles to the east, incorporating Poland, Hungary, Czechia, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Croatia, Montenegro, and North Macedonia. In 2021, wow. NATO recognized Ukraine itself as a, quote, aspiring member of NATO. And Sweden and Finland are also considering joining the anti-Russia alliance. Finland and Estonia are less than 200 kilometers or 125 miles mm -hmm. from St. Petersburg. And Ukraine's eastern border is less than 750 kilometers or 465 miles from Moscow. So it's right up against that, you know? Yeah. I mean, just to say on that and that, and you, I know you're going to talk about it in the middle, but that, that goes with a lot of money in those mm -hmm. countries. And I heard today on the radio where they were condemning and saying absurd. Some mm -hmm. general yeah. was just, you know, condemning um, Putin's demand that Ukraine not be part of NATO. Right. And he answered that is absurd because that is in Ukraine's constitution, which of course went along with the U.S. coup, yeah, yeah. you know, against it setting up this um, Zelensky. So um, wow. it, it's just, yeah, it's really, it is beating the drums of war for the benefit of the colonial, exactly. colonial power. Exactly. So that article continues. It says, while the U.S. and European powers are denouncing Russia for alleged troop movements within its own borders, billions of dollars in arms have been supplied by the U.S. to the Baltic states of Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia, which are now being shipped to Ukraine, as you were just saying. The U.S. already has more than 150 military advisors in Ukraine, including special ops, joining advisors from the U.K., Canada, Lithuania, and Poland. Under these conditions, how could Russia not assume that it is the target of a military attack. There's all this talk about Russia's military buildup, but I mean, listen to that. That's a military buildup. That, that's what's, yeah, of course the U.S. doesn't put that out. Right. So this would be a very serious war. And one source stated that U.S. Colonel Alexander Vindman, who's involved in top-level U.S. talks with the Ukrainian regime, declared, why is this important to the American public? It's important because we're about to have the largest war in Europe since World War II. There's going to be a massive deployment of air power, long-range artillery, cruise missiles, things that we haven't seen unfold on the European landscape for more than 80 years. And it is not going to be a clean or sterile environment. So the U.S. is threatening a war that would affect Europeans instead of its usual colonial targets. Right. And that's part of why it's, it's, you know, such deepening of the crisis of imperialism. And even the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, has charged repeatedly that the U.S. is blowing this out of the water and making it a far bigger issue and, you know, exaggerating or even fabricating yeah. this whole idea of a Russian, an imminent Russian invasion. 
In January, the UK Guardian reported that uh, Volodymyr Zelensky has talked down the threat of an imminent Russian invasion and said the UK and US are wrong to pull out non-essential diplomatic staff from Kiev, adding, we don't have a Titanic here. Zelensky said on Friday he was acutely aware of the dangers posed by the 100,000 Russian troops gathered on Ukraine's border, but he appeared appeared to disagree with the Biden administration's bleak assessment that a Russian attack next month was distinctly possible. Yeah, so even that, even the fact that Zelensky would take the stand, even mm-hmm. even though he will be coerced to do what the U.S. wants him to do, or he'll be gone, right. and somebody else would be put in, um, it's still part of the crisis of imperialism that, that we're seeing, that the U.S., as the chairman, Chairman Omali Shadella keeps raising and drawing out, the U.S. cannot rule in the same old way. Um, he, the chairman calls it the uneasy equilibrium between the past and the future, between the colonized and the colonizer in the struggle. And, uh, you know, you see, you see the struggle going on. Uh, so just to, just to say um, a little bit about an, an article that was in Information Clearinghouse, this past week, and Finian Cunningham wrote, Ukraine has been massively weaponized by the United States since the CIA-backed coup d'etat in Kyiv in 2014, brought to power a neo-Nazi regime obsessed with antagonizing Russia, created, I wouldn't say obsessed, right. created yeah. to antagonize, to threaten Right. Russia. Exactly. And the Biden administration has boosted inventories for anti-tank missiles and other lethal weaponry with plans for further increases. Now it emerges that additional supplies are on the way from both the U.S. and Britain. Britain is to send anti-tank weapons to Ukraine along with, quote, military advisors. What the U.S. is doing is threatening to continue to do what what Russia, uh, to Russia, what it does to colonize peoples and countries. And I would say also in the news and in, in today in the New York Times, um, just talking about the conditions in Afghanistan after the U.S. abruptly left after an occupation of, of t- nearly 20 years, yeah. um, saying that 95% of the people in Afghanistan are starving, literally starving to death. Mm. Babies are dying um, in mass. And this is the conditions that, that the U- this is what U.S. colonial yeah. occupation of a colonized country, you know, represents. And, you know, we can talk about what the U.S. is doing, these threats to Russia, um, and we can we can look at you know what the U.S. does around the world, what it's done to Haiti, to every country in Africa, to Nicaragua, Cuba, Venezuela, Guatemala, Iraq, Lebanon, Yemen, the Palestinian people, and so much more. I'm not even mentioning here. And what happens to African people inside the U.S. and indigenous people whose land this is, the colonized inside the borders of the US and it is really key to understanding this whole situation to understand Chairman O'Malley Chatella's 
term the colonial mode of production. And as the chairman says in the report to the African People's Socialist Party's recent plenary, mm -hmm. February 11th to 14, where the chairman was discussing and reading his, uh, his political report, he said, he said that through African internationalism, the political theory that turns the world right side up, so, you know, meaning that the point of view, the understanding of the African working class is, is, is the same as the colonized working class around the world. And that he's saying that through African internationalism, through seeing the world this way, that the party was able to reveal the fact that the oppressive conditions faced by Africa Africans and the majority of the peoples of the world are globally connected to the experience of affluence and power by the white population that is dependent on a pedestal of colonial domination. So, you know, as the chairman and as he continues to, to deepen this, you know, he's saying it's a dialectic, it's a dialectical whole that the affluence and, quote, democracy experienced by white people in the West or in Europe, in the U.S., in South Africa or Israel or any place else where there is the colonizer nation requires for its existence mm -hmm. the poverty, the war, the exploitation, the, um, the attacks on African and oppressed peoples around the world. And I want to say in, you know, into that, that, that Russia is not exactly a colonized country, but it was not a colonizer country. Right. And it came to, um, to its ability, you know, as a world power, um, from the Russian Revolution, and it was, you know, Russia was often called a semi-colonial country. It's, you know, it was very impoverished. It was not in the thick of um, of, of, UF, uh, of European wealth and power that was built through the assault on Africa, through the genocide of the indigenous people and the colonial domination of the world. It was peripheral to that and itself very deeply impoverished, although it had a a ruling class, an aristocracy that was very much in love with Europe and wanted to be that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, was very much based, you know, if you look at the map, Russia is huge, it is humongous. I think it is the largest geographical country on the planet. Maybe Africa will be when larger, I'm not sure when Africa is liberated, but it covers really a huge percentage of Asia. And, um, you know, just, just the fact that, that the aristocracy, the czars and, mm -hmm. and, you know, the aristocratic sector of the Russian population was based in what was called St. Petersburg and later Leningrad, which is basically in Europe. And Ukraine right. is also the European sector of, of Russia. Mm -hmm. And... You know, so it's it's a deep thing. But in any case, 
under the Soviet Union, its main crime was that it supported and put forward, although sometimes opp opportunistically and, and attempting to control it, but nevertheless supported and acknowledged national liberation movements throughout Africa and the colonized countries. So, you know, so Russia came to, to power based on the fact that it was not part of the parasitic um, European populace that, and, and countries that um, built its wealth through the direct assault on, on African people. Uh, so, you know, the U.S. still wants to, wants to keep it in check. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the chairman is, is saying um, that, you know, how African internationalism connects the current political and economic configuration of the world to the colonial enslavement of African and African people, which is really profound mm -hmm. to, you know, to see that because, you know, in this country, there's, there's like a white left that always wants to separate out the Africa question yeah. to some yeah. kind of, and I'm talking about African people in particular inside the borders of the U S right. that, that wants to turn it to a question of racism or an aberration of the system that's otherwise positive and, mm -hmm. um, to often turn it in, in just some kind of charitable, uh, moral or other kind of, of question mm -hmm. as opposed to the fact and the reality that the chairman is saying that the white people are the colonizers, whether they acknowledge it or not, live as, um, you know, the, the, the colonial sector of um, which the entire white population participates in, mm -hmm. living, requiring the oppression of African people, the exploitation of stolen African labor, wealth and resources and of colonized peoples around the world in order to live the lifestyle that white people take for granted. So, yeah, so this, so what the chairman's saying basically here is that, that the connection between Russia and African people is extremely, you know, one in the same thing. It is yeah. very much connected to what the U.S. is doing and its attempt to maintain this thing called the colonial mode of production. So let me just go through this really quickly. In a 1978 speech in San Francisco, California, mm. I know some people who were there, it was very, very profound. Mm. Um, Chairman O'Malley Shotella said the African People's Socialist Party was not the first to disclose the colonial condition confronting Africans within current U.S. borders. And, you know, he's, he's saying very clearly and has from the beginning of the existence of the African People's Socialist Party's formation in 1972 that African people face the conditions of colonialism inside the borders of the United States, not racism. And that is so critical because what that does is raise up the struggle of African people inside the borders of the U.S. to to be just like the struggle of oppressed and colonized people anywhere throughout Africa, the Middle East, or Asia, or any place in the world. And that it, it elevates it to a struggle for power, for a struggle for self-government, for a struggle for their own state power over their lives to, um, you know, to protect their interests and to forward 
the interests of their people and the African working class. So, you know, the chairman saying that the African People's Socialist Party was not the first to disclose the colonial contradiction confronting Africans. He said Malcolm X, mm -hmm. who we just talked about, was one of the first leaders of the black pro-independence movement to articulate our major contradiction with U.S. imperialism as colonialism. But the, but the chairman said our party was able to discover that our main, our primary struggle is against colonialism, which is an imperialist forum, thereby necessarily having class connotations and which utilizes the ideology of racism to justify and obscure the fundamental relationship that African people within the U.S. have with a capitalist, colonialist, ruling class and state. We discovered that colonialism is the condition we suffer from as a people and racism is the ideology that justifies or obscures that relationship. Colonialism is real and concrete. It is a human-made condition and it can be struggled against. So, you know, the chairman is saying that... Um, that slavery, genocide, and colonialism are the stuff of which capitalism was born. African enslavement was the first capital in the development of capitalism. The prevailing legal system, culture, religion, and general philosophical outlook and worldview constitute the superstructure of capitalism thus conceived. The superstructure is a natural product and reflection of this economic base of colonial slavery. And that, I mean, this is, this is profound. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we have to really struggle to, to grasp and to come to terms with because we think and understand the world based on our position on the pedestal of the oppression of everybody else whose lives feed our ability to leave, to, to live. And, you know, whose um, labor who have who have worked to reproduce life for us, mm -hmm. not for themselves, um, for the last six hundred years. And you know, I just want to read this last little paragraph. It's saying the chairman is saying, according to Marx and Engels, for individuals, the mode of production is a definite form of expressing their life. So we're talking about colonialism is the mode of production of capitalism and that that is a definite mode of life on their part as individuals express their life so they are what they are therefore coincides with their production both with what they produce and how they produce so you know it's saying that if colonialism is our mode of production pr pr the mode of production is the relations that come together, the relations and productions, how things are produced, who owns it, who works for it, mm -hmm. um, you know, private ownership is part of that. Um, and everything that is produced in this system, in this society, requires colonialism uh, in order to be produced. So this is key in understanding what the U.S. is doing to, to Russia. Um, and it's saying that as individuals express their life, so they are what they are, therefore coincides with their production, both with what they produce and how they produce. It is a combination of the defining relation 
relations and forces of production at play within a society. From their viewpoint as European colonizers, sitting on the pedestal of African oppression, Marx and Engels erroneously define various modes of production throughout human history as universal stages of development, supposedly taking all human society from lower levels to higher levels, which the chairman completely, yeah. completely, you know, negates and, right. and puts out because, yeah, that's a whole other thing. And we'll have to talk about it another time. This is such a profound and timely overview that you've just brought us. I, I really appreciate this African internationalist um, assessment. And yeah, I, I would like to come back in a future episode and talk more about the mode of production, colonialism as a mode of production. But I just think it's it's so important to talk about uh, Russia in, in this objective historical way. And, and what you pointed out about Russia not having developed, not having this, have, having had the same primitive accumulation that the rest of Europe did, that it didn't come through colonial assault on, on oppressed peoples in the same way. It certainly didn't have the same relationship to colonial slavery, right? And uh, that, that really helps, I think, wake us up from this thing that we go through in U.S. propaganda about, uh, you know, big bad Putin and the need for the United States to come to the rescue, which really is, is so played out at this point in history. You would think that, uh, you know, people wouldn't wouldn't fall for it. But uh, I think far too many people who, who are part of the colonizer nation um, will fall into that, will fall into the belief that somehow Joe Biden and the United States represent the hope for Europe and that, that the primary contradiction is, is Putin and, and Russia. Um, so yeah, I just really appreciate this discussion. Uhuru, I really appreciate that excerpt from the chairman's political report on the colonial mode of production. And I just wanted to share another brief passage from the same uh, absolutely brilliant and groundbreaking political report that Chairman Amal Teller wrote for the plenary that happened just a couple of weeks ago. This is um, from the first chapter where the chairman is talking about his own life experiences uh, growing up in uh, the 1950s and 60s and then um, actually joining the U.S. Army. And he says that when he was stationed in Berlin, Germany, he was there during the time when the United States was engaged in what he calls a vigorous political struggle with the Soviet Union, also occupying Berlin, during what was known as the Cold War. And the chairman takes issue with this characterization of the Cold War as being a quote-unquote Cold War and says, quote, we note that the Cold War was not really cold for the colonial subjects who bore the brunt of imperialist war. It was called Cold War because it did not involve direct confrontation between the colonizers who were united in attacking and killing African and oppressed and colonized peoples everywhere from Birmingham, Alabama to Congo and throughout the Caribbean, South America and Asia. Wow. I mean, that is, that is so true. Yeah. That is yeah. just so right. That, yeah, the real thing that was happening, it wasn't right. cold. It yeah. was a hot war exactly. every single day and still is. Exactly. For colonized people, wherever they are, inside the United States to any place else in the world. And the chairman also in his political report, he talked about the deepening crisis of imperialism, which is 
really profound and something that we should all be cheering. Right. You know, this is the system is coming down. And he talked about the the Munich Security Conference, which actually just happened in the last few days. And um, and Kamala Harris represented the U.S. administration, the Biden administration there. And it was it was basically a, a you know, another tool for the U.S. to use to attack Russia mm-hmm. throughout. That was its main agenda. But he was also talking about this term, which is being bantied around at the Munich Security Conference called Westlessness. Mm. You know, the, the, um, the, the growing, um, the, the growing probability of a world without the West being in power is something that the international ruling class of, of this colonial mode of production is beginning to discuss and, and to talk about. And it's something that, you know, has kind of been out there. And it was interesting because um, the chairman was saying that, uh, you know, just just how the U.S. is is fearful and, and and doesn't have the confidence it once had. And there was an article in the last day or so in the New York Times saying that the U.S. was alarmed by Russia and China's growing closeness. Mm-hmm. And that article in the New York Times says, when Wang Yi, China's foreign minister, called Saturday for talks to resolve the crisis in Europe, he said Ukraine's sovereignty should be respected and safeguarded, um, but also sided with Russia in saying that NATO enlargement was destabilizing the continent. Mm. He says, if NATO keeps expanding eastward, is it conducive to maintaining peace and stability in Europe? He said by video at the Munich Security Conference in Germany, which Vice President Kamala Harris was intending in person to rally countries against Russia. It was the latest instance of what Western officials say is China taking a bold new swing at the United States and its allies by wading into European security issues to explicitly back Russia, which has amassed as many as 190,000 troops around Ukraine for possible invasion despite the fact that Ukraine is not joining NATO anytime soon. Current and former U.S. and European officials say they are alarmed over what is effectively a non-aggression pact between China and Russia that could amount to a realignment of the world order, portending a new type of Cold War. Biden administration officials say the United States will work to create and bolster its own coalitions of democratic nations, including new Europe and Asia-Pacific strategic groups and help countries develop advanced military capabilities. And I just want to refer to very briefly what the chairman was uh, quoting in his political report when he said, Chairman O'Malley should tell you, he said, everything is in a state of play, the uneasy equilibrium between the past and the future that I described years ago. The U.S. has lost its place as the global political center of gravity. Mm. The times are gone when the U.S. economic power and military superiority served to 
hold things together and maintain order within the colonial mode of production throughout the world. The Munich Security Conference convening annually in Germany as a major colonial, colonial capitalist institution that most Africans are not familiar with. Its online journal described its 2020 meeting in a manner that reflects the growing consciousness of imperialist crisis by the global ruling elite. Some imperialist pundits from among them have coined the term Westlessness to describe the diminishing power of the colonizers and the growing shakiness of the colonial mode of production. This is an excerpt from the Munich Security Conference Journal that reveals a global colonial capitalist ruling class meeting that is much less confident of the future than our plenary. Hmm. Quote, at the Munich Security Conference 2020, held from February 14th to 16th, hundreds of senior leaders and thinkers from politics, international organizations, business, and civil society gathered to discuss preeminent crises and future security challenges around the world. A focal point at that conference was the role of the Western alliance, liberal values, and multilateralism in the current geopolitical landscape. The Munich Security Conference 2020 welcomed numerous high-ranking international decision makers, including more than 30 heads of government, heads of state, as well as nearly 100 cabinet ministers. Among the participants were French President Emmanuel Macron, German Minister of Defense Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, Chinese Minister of Foreign Affairs Wang Yi, Managing Director of, International, of the International Monetary Fund Kristalina Georgieva, High Representative of the European Union for Foreign Affairs, Josep Borrell, Executive Secretary of the United Nations, Framework Convention on Climate Change, Patricia Espinoza Cantalano, and Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Hmm. At the heart of this year's conference was the state of the West and a widespread perception of Westlessness. The term coined by the Munich Security Report 2020 refers to a divided and in some parts increasingly illiberal West that seems to be retreating from the global stage. While the term pervaded debates in Munich, differences quickly emerged. Most importantly, the state of the West and the extent of its crisis were assessed somewhat differently on both sides of the Atlantic. While U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo claimed that Western liberal values were winning and relegated transatlantic disagreements to the level of tactics, his European counterparts seemed much more concerned. They voiced disquiet about the state of Western unity, and like French President Emmanuel Macron, attested a growing inability of the West to shape the international order in line with its values. By contrast, the size of the Chinese threat to the Western community was perceived as much more pronounced by U.S. representatives than by the European peers. The most obvious contradiction facing the U.S. and colonial powers 
of Europe is the rise of China that is eclipsing Europe with the existing colonial mode of production that once also held China in its thrall. Discussions are taking place within leading bourgeois colonial journals about the likelihood of direct military confrontation between the U.S. and China based on assumptions that historically major powers such as the U.S. have always resorted to arms when necessary to curtail the rise of serious contenders. So I'm going to stop there. But, it, you know, just very telling. The chairman wrote yeah. this months ago and, you know, it really lays out the current situation, the crisis of imperialism yes. and the um, just the rise of the powers contending with the U.S. on the world stage today. Wow. In, indeed, it does. Thank you so much for laying all that out. Chairwoman Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee and Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Really appreciate you both being on Reparations in Action today. If you're listening to this and you'd like more analysis from a biased African internationalist point of view, you can check out uh, a web show called Ukraine and Russia, What's Really Happening? That was uh, recorded an event, a special edition of White Solidarity with Black Power Live that analyzed the situation in Russia and Ukraine from the African internationalist point of view. African internationalism is the revolutionary scientific and materialist worldview and theory of the African working class developed by Chairman Amalia Shetela and the African People's Socialist Party. And during that web event, we were joined by Chairman Amalia Shetela. You can watch that recording at youtube.com slash Uhuru Solidarity. Thank you so much for tuning in to Reparations in Action today. We'll see you next time. You're listening to Reparations in Action. This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. This episode was engineered by Marcel Marius, who also composed our theme music. The show is researched and produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Akile Anayi and DJ Eddie Maltzby, as well as the entire Reparations in Action team, Sandra Forrest, Johan Bedingfield, Amanda Carlozzi, Kyle Weiss, Marissa Ricchetti, Ali Aiello, Alana Woods, Declan Keller, Hallie Murray, and Sarah Ritterspock. If you liked what you heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please email them to us at ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to the African People's Socialist Party's Chairman Omalia Shetela, without whose leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>